Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Let's listen now to what the Spirit of God is saying to us and to the church. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this, your holy word, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. Amen. So as I said earlier, today we begin Holy Week, and the event that begins this week is Palm Sunday, and I have to say, maybe it's the time that I spent living in New Orleans, but I have to say that I just love the fact that Holy Week starts with a parade. Just out of curiosity, I wonder how many people here have been to Mardi Gras. All right, it's a good portion. If you haven't been, I encourage you to go. If you have been to Mardi Gras, then you you probably know that all of the parades have the theme of royalty. They're modeled on royal courts. And so every parade has a king. It's normally the first float that passes. The king is sitting on a throne, and he's usually surrounded by a court of servants. This king is traditionally a white man. He's dressed in expensive-looking clothing. He holds a scepter. He wears a crown. He throws sort of tokens to the common people below, metaphorically. And so if you didn't know anything about Mardi Gras and you stumbled upon one of these parades, I think that you would probably just assume that this is a a celebration of the, the wonderfulness of the monarchy. You might think, man, these people in New Orleans really love kings. But if that's all you saw, you'd actually be missing the point. Because if you look a little closer, what you'll see is that most Mardi Gras parades are subversive. People dress up like kings in order to mock kings. That's the whole point. In fact, Carnival, wherever it has appeared in the world, is always subversive. It's the one day a year in which common people can pretend that they're the ones with power. And in fact, at Mardi Gras, you don't just have male kings. Some parades have female queens. You don't just have white crews. Some of the oldest and most established parades in history are parades like Zulu, which were founded by black crews. 
And even the thrones tend to be satirical. One of my favorites is the crew of Tux, in which the throne is a toilet that the king sits on, and the scepter he holds is a plunger. That's a pretty explicit way to make fun of royalty, isn't it? Another one of my favorite crews is called the crew d'etat. You get it, coup d'etat, crew d'etat? This parade explicitly mocks people with power. All of their floats lampoon politicians. They change every year. They're always hilarious. At this year's parade, I'm going to give you a few examples. One of the floats was about Ron DeSantis. He was driving a covered wagon filled with immigrants, and on the side of the wagon it said, Martha's Vineyard or Bust. (laughs) Now, just to let you know that they're equal opportunity offenders. Another float mocked Hunter Biden and his alleged improprieties. Another one mocked the New Orleans Police Department. Now, New Orleans, as you may know, a lot like Philadelphia, has a crime problem. And one of people's main complaints is that when you call the police, sometimes they don't show up for hours. Well, so this float was a game, a game of spin the wheel. And the idea is that when you call 911, you're kind of just taking a chance, you're spinning a wheel, And depending on where the needle lands, that's when the police will arrive. And here were the options. About an hour, sometime today, tomorrow, and finally, didn't you already call? So what happens at this parade is that everybody is equally offended. And then something magical happens. People take themselves less seriously. And so what this parade does is to show that humor can be, can be a force for good. It keeps people humble, especially people in power. Now, I want to give you an example of what happens when humor is taken away. In the 1990s, for a period of time in Russia, there was a television program called Puppets. This was a satirical show that mocked politicians. Uh, the show created uh, kind of like Muppet characters that, you know, would imitate politicians and they would always look very silly. Now, of course, the show would never have been allowed during communism, but, but there was a period of time after the wall fell in which there were more freedoms in Russian society, and that's when this show became popular. But then in 1999, Vladimir Putin came to power. Can you guess what his very first act was as president? The first thing he did was to shut down the television show Puppets. Why? Because he knew that humor was the one weapon that could destroy him. Dictators tend to not fear bullets so much, but they're terrified of humor. And that brings us, believe it or not, to Jesus' parade. Because on a spring morning in ancient Palestine, Jesus and his disciples staged a parade. They marched into Jerusalem. People lined the parade route. They, they shouted. They sang. By all accounts, it was, a, it was a joyous affair. But here's what some people miss. It was also funny. Some of you know that one of my main goals in life is to convince people that Jesus had a sense of humor. I mean, we see this all over the New Testament. His parables are intentionally, outrageously funny. The nicknames that he gives the disciples are often intentionally funny. And this parade that he staged, that he planned, was intentionally funny. It was an act of cheeky street theater meant to give people hope. 
Some of you may have heard this before, but I think for some of you, this may be new information. And so let me back up just a moment. There's been some wonderful new scholarship that has uncovered the fact that, that, that this parade was not the only parade happening on that first Palm Sunday, and that Jesus' parade was almost certainly a commentary on the other parade that was taking place. About 20 years ago, two Bible scholars wrote a book called The Last Week. One of those scholars, John Dominic Crossan, actually came here. You might remember he came here about eight years ago and gave a lecture. And what he and Marcus Borg talk about in this book is that every year during Passover, there was a parade led by Pontius Pilate. Pilate was a brutal dictator. He was the governor of Judea. It was his job to rule over the Jewish population in Judea, and yet he didn't really like Jews, and he didn't really like Jerusalem. Even though he ruled over Jerusalem, he didn't want to live there. He lived on the Mediterranean shore in a beautiful city called Caesarea Maritima. But once a year, he had to go to Jerusalem because it was Passover. Because during Passover, the city was full of pilgrims, thousands of Jews making a pilgrimage to the temple, and that meant there was the potential for for violence. And there are a couple of important reasons that there could be violence during Passover. The first is simply the amount of people that was crammed into these, the tight streets of Jerusalem. But secondly, it was the nature of Passover. What does Passover celebrate? The Israelites' freedom from the oppressive empire of Egypt. Everybody is talking about how wonderful it was that they were able to escape from the oppressive Pharaoh. And so it made people hate Rome even more than they already did. That's why Pilate went to Jerusalem. He wanted to show that he was in power, and so he staged a big public parade, and the point of this parade was to show force. He rode on a war horse, He wore armor, he carried a sword, he was surrounded by soldiers with weapons, he was surrounded by flagmen carrying Roman banners. It was an intimidating scene and that was the point to frighten people so that they would not cause trouble during Passover. And it leads to an important question. If you were a Jewish person who resented the fact that your sacred land had been taken over by this oppressive empire, what choices did you have? especially during Passover, this sacred time in which you were being reminded that God had freed you from another oppressive empire. I mean, you know you can't fight back using Rome's own tactics because Rome is just too powerful. You'll never beat them at their own game. But you do have one weapon, humor. And that, according to Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, that's what Jesus is doing in this parade. He's mimicking an imperial procession. Think about it. Instead of riding on a war horse, he's riding on a donkey. Have you ever seen someone riding on a donkey, a grown man riding on a donkey? They're about this high. It looks absolutely ridiculous. It looks like a Monty Python sketch. That's the point. Another detail, people waved palm branches. In the Roman Empire, palm branches were the way people celebrated military victories, specifically military victories when Rome would overpower the barbarians. But of course, everybody knew that they couldn't fight Rome at their own game. To wave a palm branch at a a king on a donkey is satire. And yet, just like the Mardi Gras floats, the humor had a serious message. The message concerned power. What is real power? 
Is real power being physically stronger than somebody else? I mean, that's certainly what Rome thought, but Christ had a different message. His message is that real power comes not from violence, not from physical strength, not from being able to control other people. Real power comes from love. Do you love people? If you do, you have real power. And that's the real difference between these two parades. Pilate was coming into Jerusalem to impose his will on people. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem to love them. Let's look a little more closely at this satirical King Jesus. He has no retinue of servants. He has no scepter. He has no crown. He has neither gold nor jewels. When he walks down the road, people take off their cloaks and they lay them at his feet. They cut branches from trees and they put them in the road. Why? Well, this is all they had. These people who called Jesus King had no power. They had no wealth. And yet in Christ, they had love. And what I would suggest to you is that that there is a fundamental choice between violence and love, and it is a choice that we face every single day in our own lives. Do we lash out at other people, or do we try to love them? Do we take power for ourselves, or do we surrender the need for power in the pursuit of empathy and understanding? These questions even affect our understanding of God. Because what I have found is that the reason a lot of people today dismiss God is because they assume that God is just like Pilate. They have this idea that God is a dictator. If he exists at all, he's probably a dictator. He's an oppressor. He kind of hates people. Certainly he hates non-Christians. Certainly he hates gay people. He's cruel. And yet this story suggests something so different. What if God is a man riding on a donkey? What if God has a sense of humor? What if God is willing to make himself look foolish in order to convince you that he can be trusted? Would you believe in him if that were the way God were? Let's just put him to the test. Let's look at some evidence. Let's start with a simple question. What is it that tyrants value above all else? The answer is self-preservation. This is why Vladimir Putin won't sit near people at these long tables that he has. Have you seen these photographs where Putin is sitting at one end of the table and then like 30 feet away from him, there's another person at the other end of the table? His primary goal is self-preservation. Now let's talk about Jesus. Where exactly is this donkey taking him anyway? Where will Jesus be at the end of this week on Friday? He'll be hanging on a cross. And the man who will put him there is the man leading the other procession, Pontius Pilate. Jesus will represent the precise opposite of self-preservation in that not only does he not save his life, he gives it away. Could you trust in God if God were like that? Now, the interesting thing is that the cross also involves humor, but not the kind that God practices. You see, the Romans thought the cross was funny in kind of a, kind of a brutal, bullying way. 
They use the cross to humiliate people. That's, of course, why they put a crown of thorns on Jesus' head, because they thought it would be funny to make fun of the way that people called him a king. They put up a sign over the cross saying, Hail the King of the Jews. That, of course, was meant to be hilarious. As he died publicly in front of people, everybody around him jeered him. They said, if you really are a Messiah, save yourself. Of course, that, that is, again, the humor of a bully. But Jesus' humor lifted people up. His humor gave them hope. Simon Wiesenthal, who was the great Nazi hunter, who himself was a Holocaust survivor, he saw this and he once said, humor is the weapon of unarmed people. And if you look at some of the darkest moments in history, you're always going to see this, that oppressed people use humor to stay sane. And I have to tell you that some of the funniest jokes I've ever heard come out of Soviet-era communism, which was one of the darkest times in human history in which people lived under a police state, in which they were, they were constantly afraid of being spied on and sent to prison. Stalin, of course, killed over 20 million of his own citizens. It was just a cynical period of history in which people didn't know if they could trust anybody. But out of that dark time, there came some really fantastic jokes. I want to share a couple of them with you. A judge walks out of his chambers and he's laughing his head off. Another judge approaches him and and says, why are you laughing? He says, I just heard the funniest joke in the world. Well, go ahead and tell me, says the other judge. I can't. I just gave someone 20 years in prison for telling it. (laughs) You can feel the cynicism, right? The pain underneath that joke. And yet the laughter is what allowed people to deal with it. Here's a joke about the gulags. A new prisoner shows up at the gulag and he's asked, how long are you in for? He replies, 20 years. The veteran prisoner is surprised. 20 years? What on earth could you have done? The new man replies, I did nothing. Honest. The veteran says, I know you're lying. Everybody knows that the sentence for doing nothing is 10 years. (laughs) Here's my challenge to you this week. Can you stop taking yourself so seriously? I mean, if Jesus is willing to look foolish, why are you so uptight? One thing that I've noticed is that Christians with the deepest faith tend to be precisely the ones who don't take themselves so seriously. They take God seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously. And I think this is a product of the very nature of the gospel because the gospel says that all of your best efforts are ultimately futile. You cannot save yourself. Your only hope is in God. And if it's true that that, if that's true that you cannot save yourself, the point is stop trying. That's the challenge of the gospel. Put your faith in the God who can save and stop taking yourself so seriously. I want to end with a poem by Maya Angelou. Her poem is called Old Folks Laugh. And the poem is about what happens when wise people age. When wise people age, they don't care anymore about what people think about them. Right? That's one of the best things about getting old. They don't care about looking cool. Frankly, they're just too old to waste time worrying about that. 
And therefore, when they laugh, says Maya Angelou, it's this wonderful expression of freedom. Listen to her poem. Old folks allow their bellies to jiggle like slow tambourines. Saliva glistens in the corners of their mouths. Their heads wobble on brittle necks, but their laps are filled with memories. When old folks laugh, they consider the promise of dear, painless death, and they generously forgive life for happening to them. I want, to listen, I want you to listen again to that last sentence. They generously forgive life for happening to them. That is such a wonderful sentence. I, I think that what she's saying is, look, life is hard, but I forget it. I forgive it. I let go of being angry. I let go of trying to control other people. I accept life as it is, and I laugh because laughter is freedom. And as a pastor, I would just like to add one more thing. I laugh because God has done for me what I cannot do for myself. Jesus went to the cross for me, and in the deep humility of that act, I surrender my need to control. Let's end in prayer. God, we thank you for your healing humor. We pray that you would take away our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. This week, as we walk with Christ toward the cross, we pray for the humility to take Christ more seriously and ourselves less seriously. In his name we pray, amen.